Hello, Tim. Happy Monday to you. Good morning, Ryan. Good morning to you. (laughs) Thank you. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to all you listening. Happy Thursday if you're listening to this live upon release day. Or not live, but yes, upon release day. And if you're not listening to it then, then uh, uh, happy Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, Friday, Saturday, last but not least, Sunday. Oh, and, and Monday, I got to say one too. T- to you too. I said that to you, Tim, but to our <laughs> listeners. And what are, My favorite what are you, <laughs> what are you, what are we listening to? What are you listening to? Episode 134 of Dismembering Horror is what you are listening to. Mm. Dismembering Horror, it's the podcast shoe where myself, Ryan McDuffie, and myself, Tim Aslan. That's right. We dismember a horror film every week for you. We talk about what worked for us, what did not work for us, and anything else we found interesting or noteworthy about a horror film. Why us? What makes us so special to be talking about this stuff? Well, nothing. We just hope you enjoy being here with us to talk about these movies as fans of horror films. <laughs> That's all. Yeah. That's We're just trying to create an, an environment for that that happens to be Ryan McDuffie and Tim Aslan here doing Dismembering Horror. It is it. We are we. We are not it. It is not we, but we are it. Anyways. <laughs> so we're, true. We're, we've been the, this is, this is, could be our most anticipated episode yet, Tim, as far as in, in the, within the Dismembering Horror offices. <laughs> For you, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, that's why I say for the Dismembering Horror offices, we have, given every sort of like news update on the yeah. new wrong turn film that we like read anytime there's a new bloody disgusting article like new title <laughs> new poster new you know new name new release date spoiler uh, alert it's the same title <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then the trailer which we'll be watching uh, again today that we previously watched on our show so you get what i mean it's it's outside of your feelings on this one buddy sorry yep <laughs> what are you gonna dis- do you know dismembering horror has been anticipating it uh, <laughs> right. but i guess for a little context no we did review the first one that's of the same name wrong turn 2003 and uh that was just sort of a seminal film for myself and my high school friend group of just like it's just happening to be just a totally like entertaining exactly what we wanted slasher and um Saying saying Dushku off of Liza Dushku's character just kind of became a joke uh, in a weird way, which we talk about in detail in our first Wrong Turn episode. Jeremy Sisto's great in it, which we the last film we watched May had Jeremy Sisto in it, <laughs> yeah. so it's kind of funny. We did we did a Wrong Turn into Wrong Turn in a way, um, in a little roundabout, very roundabout way. It's all connected, man. Yeah, uh, it's fun doing. Uh, this is our second. A new release film, too. We did Saint Maud, and yeah, now we're on a wrong turn. New release for 2021, I should say. Mm-hmm. 
Great, Tim. Well, what a way to start it off. <laughs> any other way you want to uh, set up what we're doing here today, or should we just go ahead into the trailer? Um, yeah, I mean, I think we just need to make note of of whether or not the the title live or the premise lived up to the title. <laughs> As in, did they take a wrong turn? At That's any right. Point? Exactly. Right, right. We'll find. So I know. Out. I feel like you know. Oh, I guess here's a little more context, Tim. And I have not seen any of the between sequels. This is Wrong Turn <laughs> Seven. Uh, I I do actually want to watch two for the show because I hear that one's kind of like it's it's before it really goes downhill. It just gives you more of what you'd want, kind of thing. Okay. Um, so I don't know. I'd be open to doing that if you are. We'll it's see. in the hat. Oh, God. <laughs> I remember, that's right, we said, let's just disregard it if we pull it, but I'm down to watch it at this point. <laughs> great, great, great. What yeah, if I okay. pull it today? That'd be hilarious. <laughs> I know, I was just thinking that. Can you imagine? <laughs> Jesus. Oh, I already am. Oh, beautiful. Okay. <laughs> so, all right, so, so, so then you're good to keep it going? Always. All right, here we go. The trailer for from 2021, Wrong Turn. Do you know what we wouldn't have found if we would have stayed on the trail? The waterfall, the cliff. What is that? story people know but don't talk about except in whispers like a ghost story Sweet land of liberty. we don't bother them and they don't bother us but anyone who goes up there what is this place they don't come back well tim who wants (laughs) to start for rating this film per our rating system who do you want to go you go all right well per our rating system which is would we tell ourselves to Avoid it, stream it, rent it, or buy it. I would tell myself to stream it. And I would also tell myself, if I'm talking, if it's the me who has seen it, talking to the me who hasn't seen it, you will enjoy this film. Well, just just know that this film should not be a wrong turn film. And uh, you'll enjoy it much more. And I there's sort agree of with that. <laughs> and there's sort of my in summary review of it too. It's like I was able to enjoy it for what it was, but it was quite the tease and not the good way. Like mm-hmm. yeah, judge a movie on its own merits, but this this I I don't think that necessarily applies to this cuz it was self-aware you know, deal, you know, working off of your expectations. 
in a way right. that feels like it was presented as if it was being all like clever, but it's not. <laughs> so yeah, I don't. <clears throat> I don't think it's clever to be like, hey, 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 we're gonna do this thing, but ha ha, fooled you. We didn't do the thing, but we're gonna tell you that we know we didn't do the thing. Like I don't. Let, it's just not doing the thing. It's not clever, right? Like imagining that it was actually cannibalistic hillbillies, inbred cannibalistic hillbillies, like pushing that log over in the trailer. I just get so excited again at the movie right. that could have been. You know, I'm like, oh man, you know, this looks like a great wrong turn reboot. But we'll we'll get into all that more in our section. What did not work? But uh, so, Tim, how would you tell yourself to? <laughs> to uh approach this film priorities <laughs> rating system delicately uh no i would say uh i'm oh i'm a almost a rent but i don't know would i pay for this <sighs> i did mm. rent it by the way we rented I know. the blu-ray <laughs> it's it's not I mean, I didn't hate it, but does that does it rise to a rent? I mean, rent isn't that big a deal. I think I would say it's still a stream. It's got good stuff in it. Definitely it some highlights, has, yeah. It really does have some things where I just am like, for as good as the good aspects are, there's just a bunch of stuff that I'm like, ooh, what? why'd you do that? So I guess I'm a stream. Okay. Like a strong stream. Tim's a strong stream. Great, <laughs> great, great. All right. So next is our summary, Tim. Okay. Matthew Modine's looking for his kid. She went into the woods with her friends. Who we should say is Jennifer, who we should say is Charlotte Vega, who starred in another film we covered, The Lodgers. That's right. That's right. I didn't make that connection. Our second Charlotte Vega lead film, led film. Wow. Look at that. So Jen. man. Jen Shaw and her her dad, uh... <laughs> Matthew Modine, what's his name? That's right. <laughs> Scott Shaw, dad. <laughs> um, Jesus, what state are they in? I forget now. They're on. They're going on the Appalachian Trail. In the other, the other ones, they're always in Virginia. I don't know where they are in this one, though. They probably are still in Virginia. Let's just say that because I can't remember. Okay. Um. Anyway, so she goes missing. Matthew Modine goes looking for her in this small town, and. uh we find out that what happened is that instead of getting kidnapped, attacked, eaten, whatever you you might expect by cannibal hillbilly uh, inbred mutant people, they were actually captured by a community that has been living in on the mountain in the woods there since around the Civil War, pre, just before the Civil War. And, you know, they're just live in life and collecting hikers that go off the trail. Well, and either, you know, like, what are they getting out of it? I don't know, but they're, why they're called the foundation is because they 
saw, you know, the imminence of a civil war and decided right. we need to separate ourselves from that entirely. So if all that is just sort of, you know, just uh, upends itself, destroys itself, you know, and if the country destroys itself in a civil war, we need to be the foundation that rebuilds society. And uh, because society always does have its problems, they've always viewed it as they're they're still holding on, expecting things to maybe go haywire. So, I guess they, so. Yeah, they they're I kind mean, of what's interesting. It's been one hundred and fifty years. <laughs> what's key and interesting about them is this sort of like the play between each side thinking they have some sort of moral high ground. Right. So, right. Yeah, that's where. Yeah, that does from. come into play. This sort of like who who's the voice of morality um to varying effect i would say but yeah so all in all you know it becomes a uh can can we say can matthew modine save his daughter from being kidnapped by the foundation in the mountains that's the third act well she's been kidnapped for 6 weeks already so yeah, she'd been and there for a little while. It's her and her boyfriend who end up living at the foundation. And I, I guess I guess the other main thing, this, this sort of... kind of assimilate. Yeah, yeah, just is pretty funny. Um, but the, the main kind of conflict, I'd say, is like one of the, one of them in their group, one of our, our millennials or whatever you want to call them. They call themselves yeah. like liberals, I think. they um one of them is just like a total like hot wire it is basically antagonizing uh you know all the locals and all these uh all the foundation members this whole time he brutally unprovoked he brutally murders Mm. one of them unprovoked See Tim, we're already getting into the moral like mm. quandary of that they that they present. As they said in the movie, what did he witness? Her what his his girlfriend went off to use the bathroom and had to stay quiet. And then mm-hmm. his assumption, because these people were wearing skulls, was that they killed her. True. You're leaving out an important piece of information, though. Their friend had just been smushed by a giant log that they're pretty sure was not an accident somebody sent the log down the hill but it was just a a log yeah but still he's you you would agree he's a a real hot wire he's an asshole yeah i mean no question he sucks he basically he 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 brutally beats in the head oh yeah i mean one of the foundation members yeah and then that is sort of our our key conflict of like, you know, the foundation being like, you killed one of ours. So yeah. that's, that's sort of where everything stems from. Yeah. His name is Adam. Well, but don't, you know, don't sell it short, Ryan, where it really stems from is Jen's boyfriend takes a wrong turn off <laughs> yep. the path of the Appalachian trail after being warned not to. Where's our bell? Ding, 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 ding. There's the wrong <laughs> it's right turn. Here. It's right here. <laughs> Takes a wrong turn off the path to see some Civil War uh, um, remnants, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, and like Jen submits herself to the, the, the leader of the clan, basically. 
yeah, being to like, like save her and her boyfriend. Yeah, um, so that's kind of that that conflict going on. Dad yeah. comes to save the day at the end, and I thought the ending was great, which we'll get into in what worked. I agree. Cool. All right. Well, do you want to get into what worked? Anything else? That's sure. All right. Right. Great. Here we go. First section. What worked? What worked? What worked for you? What worked for you? It worked like a charm, Smith. What worked? What worked for you? Hey. Hey. You know, there is good stuff in this movie. Yeah. I'm going to tell you the thing that I think... I appreciated the most. And it is, I would say, a fairly rare thing in horror films, but an important one nonetheless. Something that bothers me consistently in a lot of horror, and honestly, in a lot of movies in general, but like horror in particular, is when characters experience in particular the first major death like the first moment of oh shit thing where we've just stepped into a new realm right one of them gets killed very often you see just as a as a matter of efficiency from a filmmaking point of view the characters very quickly move on emotionally like we don't really see them have a flip out over what's going on because you know a lot of the time you you, you kind of don't i think pe- the filmmakers think or writers think you don't we don't have time to belabor the fact that their friend just got killed and like have them wail about it but i'm always a little dismayed when i see the actors or characters not at least like show the, the the sort of emotional reaction to that and have that extend through the the following, you know, few scenes at least. Like, it feels too often that they just kind of go, oh my God, our friend just died. And then they move right along and everybody seems kind of fine. They're just dealing with, with what's in front of them instead of being like, this is messed up. Like, this is completely insanely messed up and and like the appropriate proportional response of like holy shit doesn't exist a lot of the time and in this movie there is quite a lot of it and and it and it works really really well like we go yeah that's how you would respond if you're you know this one guy's boyfriend's like gets completely head smashed against a tree by the giant log and there is a very appropriate sequence of everybody flipping out they flip out internally they flip out externally they flip out on each other like it's very effective and very appropriate and i appreciated it greatly to get to see people respond appropriately yeah, and then it's great. I agree, because then we do see, then in every subsequent scene, the character that's really flipping out, we see the continued effects of that, too. Right. It's great. Well, you mentioned so, something good else. Job, it, guys. <laughs> you, you mentioned did the sub- thing that people tend not to do. 
you mentioned something else in there, which was great in itself, which was the log smashing the guy's head. <laughs> Very good. That <laughs> sequence is great. And yeah, yeah this, the, the head smash is great. The Man. fun of just that big old tree trunk coming down too was just great. I mean, yeah. I will say as far as enjoying it on a first watch, th- knowing, quote unquote, thinking that that uh, log was being pushed by out off-screen inbred cannibalistic hillbillies was just the best <laughs> right. thing ever. Imagine being up there going like, Bleh! and pushing this thing yeah. over. <laughs> the doobie up there at the top. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. but still fun them running away from it getting all gnarled tripping over themselves oh it's man cool. it's pretty brutal granted I was you know willing suspension of disbelief was was uh they were push they were pushing it they were pushing the my my willingness <laughs> but you know it was fine it was cool they go flying everybody's bouncing around and getting scratched up and hitting trees and stuff and winging around. I thought it was quite a fun sequence. And I also just that whole setup, the first third or whatever, when we think we're watching a slasher movie, I Mm -hmm. liked how it was playing as a slasher movie where it's like, they're kind of, they're kind of chatty dialogue. It like wasn't great, but it was exactly good enough to like, just kind of make me get into them and you know distinguish who they each were and just be oh, like, yeah. oh cool this is going to be fun to watch them each get killed off now and then just I like i think that bar, that bar scene is really well done yeah like it's I, just the right tone of of like hey we're just having a, a you know a casually good time nobody's being an asshole and these you know townies are just being jerks. And then they kind of respond in, in a fun back and forth. Like it's tense, but it's kind of, there's a little bit of levity to it. And, you know, it feels good. I, I was like, this is a really good setup scene because regardless of where it goes, like we have established a bunch of solid things. Like yeah, you said, I, we kind of get, we get to know everybody really fast. I, I'm, felt kind of you know put a little unique bit of flavor on the slasher setup too of cutting back and forth with and i mean using as your your setup for the movie the dad looking for Mm -hmm. them just the presence of an adult who's a parent looking for them is just yeah it's something unique interesting with this kind of setup um and yeah matthew modine was just like (laughs) this feels like the quintessential um uh you know baby boomer father character yeah it was was just great um i loved when he like gets on his like camping gear and everything and it just seems so (laughs) like yeah boomer's gonna save the day it was just fun he's got his hiking poles and the guy looks at him like what the fuck are you doing dude yeah there was a deleted scene i watched where he goes to like an rei or whatever the local thing is and is like I need to do some hiking. Can you help me with that? <laughs> <laughs> and so that's why he like shows up with that, that's that shirt and everything. Um, I, some fun themes too. I mean, yeah, you had, there was kind of like an inner gener or, I don't know, you know, different generational, whatever that would be called, not inner, but themes of kind of, you know, the different generations going on and just like what that all means of um, passing forward you know, information, what am I trying to say? You have like, <laughs> you have like, you have, okay, so you have like the dad, the boomer dad, seeing the millennial daughter, 
and then the little girl as a presence, right? Mm, Who's yes. kind of observing this all. And then we also have this idea of, you know, this foundation is now for generations they have been living in this situation separate from society. Right. In our society, we have it's been generations since the Civil War that they wanted to separate themselves from. And when you're thinking about, at least I was, when you're thinking about just sort of them arguing over who, if, if someone has the moral high ground, the foundation or the outside society, the world at large has the moral high ground. Um, at least I'm just thinking in those terms of, uh, God, what am I? Like, you know, the, the next generations are always the one taking up the mantle and trying to do what was working with the previous generation and do what was right in a way. So, mm -hmm. so I just thought it was interesting what was going on in it of like the outside world, our civilization, it's like the, the leader of that foundation is right. We are just as barbaric as them in a lot of ways, you know, but the, the and of, of the killing, going to war, looking at people as expense, you know, all that stuff. So he has that point, the foundation leader saying, are you know, we aren't any better, but I guess then what he was failing to miss is we though, there's a lot of people in our society who say, no, you know, killing someone as a repercussion for murder is wrong. So we're, we're starting to, you know, evolve past that or move past that in a way. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. think there's a pretty, there's a pretty solid through line that pushes this idea of, um, certitude or black and white absolute you know living in absolutes and nuance and you know the kids the kids oh god um, i'm i feel so old right now having said that <laughs> the 20 somethings <laughs> jesus they represent sort of a new way of looking at the world that that does display nuance. I mean, the, the bar scene really solidifies that um, because they, you know, the 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 townies kind of say they they reduce them to this this slanderous way of using the term millennial, right? And they they push back and they say, well, you know, <laughs> actually. We all have jobs. We all have like there is nuance to who we are. We're not just this this one thing or one way of looking at things. And then that sort of reflected in the foundation also, you know, abiding by this idea of like absolutes, like it's it's this or that. Um, and, you know, Jen gets out of that by using nuanced a, a nuanced argument about how they, you know, they should not be killed because they have something to offer. They they are more than just the singular crime that they are being convicted for. Um, and so that I, I like that there's that sort of interplay. It also exists within the friend group in and of itself. Like Adam is very much the problem of the group because he's l looking at the world from this 
almost black and white binary thing. You attacked us, I'm going to attack you. It's like, yeah, but there's details that are important to knowing whether or not that's a proportional response. And if you are even right in your assumption of the black and white nature of the situation and he pays for it. And so like, I think all of that thematically and like how it's depicted is really strong um, and fun. You know, they do it in such a way that we can get on board. So generally, yeah, I, I was, I, I like all that stuff. Yeah, the theme stuff therein. Like an, another one, you know, is just the idea of like how I was saying they, um, you know, we're both as we both, we and the foundation both live in a society where there's still, things are still predicated on violence. You know, because, mm-hmm. you know, that death penalty still exists, war still exists, people still think us versus them mentality, yada, yada. And that exists, therefore, you know, we both still operate on some level within the the spectrum of violence being normalized. So mm, there's that's this a sort really of, good point I want so to follow up on. Cool. Yeah, so there's this idea where just because the foundations are the ones wearing skulls, and like you know, living in in you know nature shacks and stuff that they make, um, as if they that fits them more somehow the the sort of predilection toward violence. But that I think. But then once we see no, it's as as the imagery of like the you know her at the way way end, which we'll get to, like you know, or, or just having her at all, Charlotte Vega as Jen, like be super violent and intense, like her multiple stabbings and yeah. against them and going all crazy to see like, you know, millennial girl, uh, you know, upper middle class, just release her, her, her blood, bloodlust like that. Yeah. It's, it's Becoming a kind of a primal. Yeah. It's kind of this cool visual representing, oh no, we still exist in the spectrum of violence despite, you know, her living in a, a house in a neighborhood kind of thing. And that's why in that more fun imagery that's playing that is then it's just so much fun at the end too, seeing the main guy, the leader, uh, Venable uh, of the of the foundation, then dressed in, you know, normie clothes, you know, <laughs> out right. of his, out of his potato. Yeah, him not seeing him in his um, potato sack or whatever he's wearing. <laughs> right. Um, Yes. What was your thought on on that? Well, I think this is really to me. This is like the 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 strongest. And and you know, who knows if this was their intention? But the, my t- my biggest takeaway of the thematic stuff is this notion, and I think what they're really really pointing at, advertently or not, is the notion. It, it, and we deal with this all the time in in contemporary society. This notion. That if you step off of the advised path, that you are somehow guilty of inviting violence rather than holding to account people who act violently and immorally. Wait, you mean if you take a wrong turn? (laughs) That's right. If you take a wrong turn. It's the exact same idea as saying, well, young woman who wore a short skirt was asking to 
like inviting violence upon her because, you know, men can't resist the urge to be violent towards women if they're showing off their legs, which is utter bullshit. And it, it is a, it's an idea that is perpetuated in our society all the fucking time, and it drives me insane. So, like, this whole movie is essentially that idea. What, because they, they were advised by people in town to not go off the Appalachian Trail, and if they do, that somehow it's their fault that they invited this violence upon them. No, it's fucking not. Like, get out of here. The found and and this sort of like now they get a little bit of retribution because the town obviously doesn't like the foundation, but the authorities don't seem to care. They're not doing anything about it, right? Because of self their own self preservation, which is bullshit in and of itself too. It's like <laughs> permitting violence against anybody just because it's a hard thing to face or to like actually try to to deal with is not okay well like and yet that's a that's a very common thing in our society it just is so i think that's actually really cool that it's why i like horror films when you get this type of thematic you know these ideas going on and start pointing at those things that's exciting to me i mean you talking about that and just sort of the idea of you know black and white thinking and i'm just thinking so why why are the foundation why why again are they killing these people and stuff and i remember it's like it's because they i don't know if it's explicitly said but at least what i gathered is that they're treating as you are on our land and like we're we're allowed to do this because you know if you if word gets out on us we we are the foundation of the future we can't risk you know, word getting out, whatever it is. And also just the idea of just like owning land and this is our land and our right, which that's, that's right. Which is fun. You know, it, it's, it's fun as like, Oh God, that's horrible. You, it doesn't give you a right to, to capture and take, scoop out the eye, burn out the eyeballs of these people. But like, we also get, um, uh, so, some of where they're, we're coming from, where they're coming from too. It like, I, I kind of lost the thought, but it it makes sense. Just like we get their argument too of at least the inception point of the foundation, you know? Yeah. Like I that we, is not valid in itself, what they were doing. Right. I think we get it because we live in a world that perpetuates this idea of proprietor proprietary ownership, which is super flawed, right? Like our whole country, it's ironic, right? which is good writing, it's our whole country is predicated on or founded on colonization. We, this is not our land in any way in the first place. Right. right? What a fun thing that calls that out, you know, just as if, yeah. Cause like when we came in here, me like, Oh, Native American rules, they don't apply to us. That's not real. It's, you know, wherever <laughs> right. we're, we're coming from, that's, that's the name of God. You know, we're in the name of God, not these savages. So it yeah. was really cool. I like that moment in this film when they're being put on trial and, you know, the guys, the, the main guy, Venable, he's like, you're being put on trial. We're going to, you know, you got to pass the rule of law. And, and she's kind of like, Jen's kind of, like or they're all kind of like 
What law? This isn't law, though. Law is back home. You're just a bunch of crazy people. But it, it, it's just that idea of, no, one isn't, these are just people who decided what their law is. But for each one of them, the law is the law. But then for yeah. the ones looking in, it's not. And it's just, it's, I love that. It's all perspective, all that stuff that's made up anyways. Well, that's just it, right? It is made up. This even even the idea of ownership, in particular ownership of land, is it's just such bullshit when you really think about it. Now, do I think people should be able to like like have a place to live safely and comfortably? Yeah, totally. But this idea of ownership of land and like if you step onto my land, I have the right to to do whatever I want to you because because of this other patri- sort of it's this broad patriarchal idea or maybe even just hierarchical idea of like I'm above you in this particular situation so I get to decide the rules. Right. You're on and my property like, so I have the right to shoot you. Right. It's so inhumane, right? Like it's just so s- ridiculous. So there's this really inherent uh flaw and irony within what the foundation is is saying in and of itself. And I think that's it's smart because it's it's very well intertwined the these the the contradictions and the sort of like uh I don't even know what the word would be but the the similarities in the I guess it's just the complexities of the situation, right? Like Adam he jumps to conclusions about the situation. Now, is he is he totally wrong in that making those assumptions? It, it, no. I mean, he it's not the best way to go about it for sure. <laughs> but like there is a thread of logic from his perspective. And then the idea that the way to deal with that from the foundation's point of view is to say that it's binary. You did it and you die or you didn't do it and you don't die. And it's like there's a little more to it, right? Like and 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 uh Jen even says that she's like but you know he messed up and made an assumption but like it was based on this he thought that these guys not unreasonably he's tied to a log they're carrying him they just got attacked it's not a crazy assumption to think that those are the dudes that attacked them in the first place right i know now, it's yeah yeah is yeah the proportional response of caving the guy's head in maybe is a little extreme. <laughs> maybe it is. And it it is another example of like what the foundation is wrongly doing in the first place, which is saying, okay, well, you did this, so here's you, you, the sentence is death, no questions. But right. like it, Adam shouldn't have caved the guy's head in, right? Like he he snapped to a judgment of or or a you know he decided to be the executioner of this judgment without enough information and i think that speaks to this broader cool idea that is really a problem in in human society and culture we are so prone to jumping to a conclusion because we we need it to we need to be right and that's BS. It's okay not to be right. We talked about that in the blob, right? Where he's like, it's okay to not know the answer. It's not okay to be like, certitude, here it is, the end, I decided, you're dead. 
Right. Yeah. And like, kind of like how you're illuminating it works because we see both sides doing it. Adam thinking in this sort of non, you know, nuanced extremes. And then when they're on trial with the foundation, like you're saying, you know, she kind of, I like, yeah, she's pushing back in a nuanced way, exactly like you said. And I, I liked how it was sort of surrounding the idea where they were like, they're like, murder's murder. And she's like, no, it's a murder means you set out to kill someone kind of without any prompting. And, you know, she, so it, it was just a <laughs> great like, thing because they literally have distinctions in the court of law. Right. So, you know, you have manslaughter, first degree, second degree. Like there's, there's distinctions based on circumstance. And so for a reason she's being basic and it's great because that's being put in the context of like, don't lie. This is a yes or no answer you have to <laughs> right. say. And they're just waiting for that. that. It's like, so did you murder them? Yes or no. And that's it. That's your only, yep. like those are your only course of actions to do that. Um, and then it was, it was fun because she was, they did that well of setting her up as the character to be like, you know, earlier when the other friend is like, um, well, who are you, Miss Moral High Ground? You know that she's sort of accused of being that one. Um, That's right. So she, she, so she tries to do in that moment. I think what her friends would say are like the kind of this is the kind of right thing to do is to lie in that situation. And then we have the other uh, foundation member kind of like, please, no matter what you do, don't lie. And is this that was just a fun moment when she, you know, making the character make a choice and. Um, yeah, yeah, and the where the direction she went with it. Like either way it was going to be like, "Oh, no." You know, yeah. whether she said yes or no. I think it's a really fun premise to explore because it it sort of boils down to self-preservation versus morality. And like <laughs> you know, sometimes you're really stuck. Like if you say that you are purely living in morality and you're faced with somebody who is making it binary, like it's a yes or no question. There is no nuance. And you you lose. Like your self-preservation will lose in that situation. And I think that's a really fun and messed up thing to explore because people who want to live in, in absolutes, often we see it all the time, will use that to their advantage in the argument. I mean, it's it's seeped in logical fallacies, but like that's how they often get their way is that they they prey upon your like the um uh the the sort of ambiguity of morality and say well, they you know, they get you in these sort of contradictions that just exist in life and say see oh well see you you said that so therefore you're this which is not true it's a logical fallacy i forget which one it's called but like people use that way of thinking to their advantage all the time and And an eventual disadvantage eventually often yes like especially like somebody smart enough to use it against them in a way but, or just because then, like as an example, I'm about to say they get sort of a little maybe overly sure of themselves and their certainty. Right. Because, like, I love the sort of ongoingness of the um, the thread of the locals and their way of looking at 
you know, the Matthew Modine character and the outsiders as a whole, like all that stuff was great. I enjoyed. And so, but, but we get the sense that at a certain point, you know, when he hires the like local hunter guys to help him out, to find the foundation and they're kind of like, dude, what are you doing wearing that target on your back? You know, they're right in that. But yeah. we also get the sense of them getting in there with their machine guns and then just kind of the way they put down Matthew Medine, almost as if they are are like overly sure of themselves, you know, in a oh, way. Yeah. Like, of course they know that it's a risk, but they don't act like it's a risk when they're going out there in a way. If they're scared, they don't show it. So I think it it really worked. It was fun, the moment of, you know, okay, we have some sense of safety maybe like the hunters because the hunters are with us and they get immediately killed when they set out with Matthew Bodine. That was a really (laughs) fun moment. Like, no, they're, they're better gear than Matthew Bodine didn't end up saving the day in the end. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, it's kind of continuing this thing of like, in a way it's, it's the arrogance flaw, you know, Anytime in this whole movie, pretty much anytime somebody is like, no, I know how it is. They get we'll killed. be okay if we go take this wrong turn, Jen. Don't worry about it. We'll get right. back on path, no problem. <laughs> right. And, and you know, I got to say, I think that a lot of this movie really is kind of, or maybe it's just my takeaway, but I felt there was this sort of overarching um, commentary on male certitude. Like specifically that sort of like performative masculinity thing that exists in our culture of like, you got to be the big dog, you got to be right, you got to be in charge, you got to be sure, you can't show weakness. Like it's all of the problems, pretty much all of the problems stem from what I would call a masculine, a flawed masculinity or attempted masculinity and and a disregard for sort of the feminine way of looking at life and the world. I think what's fun is seeing all that at play and just sort of the ins and outs of that idea, that theme in the Matthew Modine character where Mm -hmm. he's stepping up as a dad, the one in the masculine role and just at all cost has to save his daughter. But that, those are the, the 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 feminine traits you could say. He's not doing it to be bravado at all. He's doing it as a caring parent. So it's right. and, you know it's that's and, right and does happen to be a man, which we typically associate with um, masculinity. Um, so so I don't know. It's this, it's this, it was this sort of fun, you know, having that juxtaposition of seeing cool like dad superhero stepping in to save me and, and save the day all for the right reasons and coming from a good place, not coming from a bravado place. Yeah. Well, I think that's really correct. If you kind of zoom out just one more click, you could say that he represents saving the feminine way of looking at life. And that is, uh, represented in his daughter she represents the feminine like sort of mentality or the 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 strength of femininity 
not femininity. You know what I'm trying to say. How well, would you also, say that? I mean, I think it's like the idea that being paternalistic is then the spectrum of femininity. You know, the, that's right. That so, like, he his character is a representation of protecting that thing and like trying to save that thing from a world that is so like flawed, masculine driven. And, you know, that's cool. And we see that fun, you know, interplay of those, you know, masculine, feminine sort of stuff going on within Jen, where if you want to associate kind of like, you know, being smart and biting your tongue and sort of, yeah, basically using your wits versus force as a way to win in a situation is, is actually stronger in a way, like what she has to do than sort of the Venable, you know, is kind of, yeah, it, it, it brings out the sort of fun thing where Venable, you know, says all along to Jen, I always, you know, I wasn't sure if you were strong or not. And, you know, by then I knew you were yep. strong kind of thing. And it turns out she is strong enough to outsmart him with the ending of sort of thinking ahead. Oh, if I try to fight back in the kitchen or in the living room or whatever, the dining room, he's going to, he's, he's going to likely kill my family. So again, she yep. uses her wits to bide her time to wait to be in a moving car to kill him off. So you want to get into all that and just, since I kind of arrived there at the ending, just say how great that all was. Yeah, I'd, I have one I'd more thing that. that sort of sets up that whole ending that, that uh-huh. is the tag of what we're talking about. The all is lost moment of this movie is Jen having to tap into the patriarchal way of looking at women to save her and her boyfriend. She has to... And it, that's why it is the the lowest point for her. She has to use her body, her objectified body and the reduction of women to being a, a, an object of possession that is made just for breeding. Right. What she is your worth? I can breed is what she is basically being said. Right. And that's the worst thing that she – could have to do right in, in next to death and that's the moment right it's the death versus the worst thing the worst choice you have to make moment which is so smart because then we leave the upside down world and we synthesize the first and second acts for her into being both strong and feminine right she she sort of the synthesis of of both the masculine and feminine within her is what ends up being her strength, right? She becomes a warrior. She becomes these things that we associate with masculinity, but she's doing it from this, from all of the strengths and, and the, the things she's learned through the trials of the second act to become this new person, which is sort of, sort of superhero-ish too. Like, and, and she really becomes the savior of, not only herself, but of her dad. So the, t- the the flip that happens into the third act is really brilliant. Yeah. Which then we get a really fun third act. <laughs> right. I mean, first and all, just the, the, yeah, Venable and the little girl showing up in their dining room, uh, you know, months later. It was just, it was just <laughs> yeah. so much fun. Again, just that visual of him in uh, normie clothes. 
And then just that tension is so good. You know, bringing a little girl in is kind of, is just smart on his part. Mm -hmm. Um, And then just how the rest of it played out too of like, yeah, we, we get the fun of like that little fight scene, but it totally makes sense is like, no, she's smarter than just doing that right now. She, but so then just, he's like, oh no, that's just her seeing in her head how it would go if she were to do that. So it was just kind of a fun, you know, got to, got to have your cake and eat it too. We got to see that play out, but totally wouldn't have been, it would have, wouldn't have been good for a character. All that was fun and great. Then, of course, you know, she has his baby and that adds this whole other element to it. And you're thinking about it. Um. <laughs> it's so good because, like, that fantasy, her sort of going through the, like, you know, we don't realize it in the moment. But, like, the fantasy represents a masculine response, right? Just attack. And the result of that fantasy from a masculine response is that... Yeah, she might have gotten to kill the bad guy, but her whole family is dead as a result of of that way of looking at the world and and reacting from that quote unquote masculine like headstrong just attack mode. Yeah. And so when she snaps out of that, we realize she's she has learned, right? She knows that that's not the answer. She's got to be smarter about it and use a different tactic and tap into these other strengths of hers. Right. At least use those strengths to then better enable or the the then physical strength. Exactly. Exactly. It's balance. Which, which she does in the end end, which the end. So we just, that was the end. Now, as far as the end end, I'd love to use that to transition to our next section like I like to do, but can I? Um, <laughs> okay that's okay but can i just back up and just address two other things that worked for me in the film real quick sure super quick when we were talking about the setup first third feels like you're watching a slasher movie just mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the, it just felt so like og wrong turny that i was wanting working for me in that sense of the 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 i guess the foundation member not the cannibal in a tree disguise where it's like we focus in on a tree and then like the eye opens up, like it's wearing a tree mask and a tree costume. Like, God, that was so, but that was was fun, silly and fun. Exactly what I was wanting from this movie. And then of course, fun moments. Yeah. Yeah. Just those little, again, like the more slasher kind of moments, Mm -hmm. I'd say when you're thinking we're watching that movie. Uh, But then I got to mention just cause it's always so horrific the their cave filled with i guess it's yeah. is it blind deaf and tongue cut out is probably is is, is what it i get like everybody had had their eyes taken out yeah it was definitely they all had their eyes burned but he says uh right before they do it to to the guy who's within our group they say you know see no evil um hear yeah. no evil speak no evil so that made me think they were getting rid of those three senses and that's yeah, how it yeah, seems like they too. are in the cave, they seem right. like they don't hear her. They seem like they don't, yeah, they can't they right. sit talking. Um, yeah. But then yeah. that was just so great to have that one guy in our party and see he's like in the corner eating a rat, completely lost his senses. <laughs> like just all that's so horrifying. And her uh, her uh, shooting him, it's like, I, I probably want that if I were him too. Like yeah. thinking of just living down there eating rats for decades. I really, really like the whole final, you know, sequence, the the 
Matthew Modine getting there, her, the the like him being captured and then her breaking him out and getting out of there and the fight that ensues, like all of that stuff's really fun. It, it fucking it cooks in a good way. It kind of you know like it's exciting and and tense, but like you know we get oh, right. we get the nice little sort of um uh what would you call it i guess wrap around of of the the townie guy who says the reason part of why he's out there is because of what they said about his eyes being yellow is and he had it checked out and he's got like liver disease or something like that and now he's going to live longer because of them and so it's it, it's a fun little wraparound and justification for him to come back out and actually kind of save them. Right. Or at least her help saving them. Her saving, be doing the nice thing to him. That's the right. The person to give him medical advice is what saved her in the end. Which again is a representation of these more feminine traits, right? Like compassion, concern, like, you know, caretaking. Those are traditional feminine sort of uh, qualities and it ends up saving her and or them in in at least one moment. So it's good. And then the the horror in the opposite end of the spectrum. I loved it so much when they like at the end there in that whole scene you're talking about when they fall into the ravine and you have the one kind of like crony guy from the foundation. He's like mm. sneaking around the corner and he says, This is my favorite line in the movie. <laughs> he goes, I can smell your juices. <laughs> like, oh, oh my God. Yeah. God. <laughs> right. Gross. But again, it's it's reinforcing the same stuff, this masculine yeah, yeah. versus feminine stuff. It's it's really good. This should not be a wrong turn movie. It's better than that. And that's not to disparage wrong turn, but it it undercuts this movie by, uh, you know, branding it, I yep. think. Well, that's a perfect transition to our next section. Uh, as is, though, I did want to transition by saying, yes, the the end ending, mm-hmm. that long take of her, you know, we, it, it's, it's, it's a great ending, yeah, where she's... Yeah. I already kind of explained it, but she's let herself be captured by Venable again and the few other guys he brought with him, the little girls there. But then she attacks them, you know, off screen. It's all one shot, just seeing it from the outside. Crashes, you know, uh, the, the the trailer crashes, RV crashes. She kills them all. It's brutal. You know, she gets out. She stabs the ones trying to crawl away. And it's her and the little kids. Her and the little kid walking away now that's just it's great because it's it's gets into the things you know we were talking about about her having to yeah use use her smarts but then still still having to access the violent side and then the generational stuff is was Mm -hmm. why like that ending shot could it was so perfect of her and the kid walking away walking towards camera being like okay well this this little girl's in a really interesting situation of kind of having a leg in both worlds now. What is she going to decide to do? And how does Jen best sort of try to eliminate, if she's going to have any role in raising her, however she sets her off into the world, how is she going to help put an end to this sort of, you know, um, uh, acceptance of violence as an option? Mm-hmm. So really, really good end shot for that. But I can tell you what did not work for me about it, if you're ready. <laughs> yes. All I'm right. I'm ready. Here we go. Next section. What did not work? It's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. 
No, something important's missing. What did not work? <laughs> They should have used it as an actual last shot and not played the credits over it. It totally undermined the moment. You should have had it so it like actually plays out like we're still watching the movie and then just cut sort of, you know, once they've started walking towards camera a bit. Uh, it was, it, it's like, it was an inspired moment how they came up with it. They, they sort of came up with it like last minute. And maybe some of that uncertainty there on their part, if it was going to work or not, just make, oh, we'll just kind of make it a fun kind of thing. No, but it was good enough. You should have actually made it the ending versus this weird, like, pseudo tag. I don't know. Yeah. But that's just, that just what killed what could have been so great for me. It was unfortunate. I think the branding of this movie as a wrong turn movie led to harmful decisions like that. Right. Well, um, here's, bear, bear with me on this thread. I was just on okay. our friends over at uh, our friends' podcast over at Retro Reviews and yeah. to review the Super Mario Brothers movie. And, you yeah. know, and he couldn't help me. I'm a huge fan of it. And Peter on the show kept asking me, like, you know, he didn't keep, but he asked a couple questions that were like, well, how could, you, how did you get this from the video games kind of thing? And I'm like, that's, that that's that at a certain point that's that's not what this movie is at all it's like the, what's so cool about the super mario brothers movie is like if good ideas are just sort of a presentation of like what ifs you know and just sort of then exploring pursuing that direction or that that world that situation the super mario brothers movie came about because they just sort of got the idea from thinking about okay so two brooklyn plumbers and then you know something mm. with dinosaurs oh well what if there's this other dimension where people evolved from dinosaurs. And then that was their jumping off point. And then what they were so smart to do, why that movie worked so well, is they just didn't care about making anything Super Mario at that point. It was just the pursuit of that what if, which right. is so, so cool. And then anything that was Mario related was just kind of in names and kind of nods and just like whatever things that are ancillary. So that's what this movie should have done is like the filmmaker, the director, he said, you know, he read the script. Oh, and he loved the twist. It usurped his expectations. Da, da, da. It's not a wrong term movie. They should have done is then just use that as that jumping off point for this what if of like, okay, that's a great setup with these these people called the foundation. Call the movie The, movie, the Founda Foundation. Ex my thought exactly. <laughs> the movie should be called The Foundation and have nothing to do with the wrong term brand. And we would have been fired up about it yeah and any anything that they tried to do to kind of like be self-aware about that decision it just did not work like Ugh, like, God, like the like, worst line in the whole movie it, wait say it because i think it's i'm thinking the same thing oh your your brother wants to watch a movie yep, tonight yep. Ugh. No, no, he says the brothers want to, some some cannibal hillbillies exploitation movie or whatever. Yeah. And she's so like, again. So, right. So, that line right there, what that felt to me, it was like, imagine going to see the new Friday the 13th movie. <laughs> and it's just all like a straight faced, done, not even a comedy like Tucker and, Vail, Tucker and Dale versus Evil, which was great but like an actual legit example of like they just misunderstood Jason 
And like, <laughs> there was just all one big misunderstanding of, you know, like kind of thing. It's like, no, that's not what we want when <laughs> we go see a Friday the 13th movie. It's like, what are you, and then, and then oh you're having God. a character in the movie make fun of Friday the 13th movies. Like, what are you doing? Like, it's so stupid. And that's yeah, like, like, so, like, you get through the, the, this version of Friday the 13th and somebody like, you know, goes into the, the, like the sports equipment shed on the camp and pulls out a hockey mask and is like, Oh, look how, was this supposed to be scary? <laughs> right. It's like, 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 like what are you, what, what are you even doing here? Why are you making this movie? Like then you clearly <laughs> right. aren't the ones to make this movie. So just leave us alone. Like, yeah. It bums me out because yeah. this stuff does happen, I think, fairly often. And I get why it happens, right? Like the, the business decisions involved in this stuff are not sort of completely unfounded. Like the, there's there's some logic to it. But it's just a bummer that that's the way that the industry is so set up is to to sort of snatch brand recognition and have that be the dictating force of a lot of decisions and it's like man but a, a good movie is still just a good movie and if you want like they could have started an entire new franchise called the foundation they could have because we could continue to have people interact just like wrong turn did originally with this hillbilly thing they could have a whole series of foundation movies that explore that community and like the implications of it, and I think they would have done fine. Yeah. Now, I will mean, they try to do that and carry on the the wrong turn, like branding with that? Maybe. I guess what what they got to do at this point is make wrong turn eight reintroduce the cannibal hillbillies and to this world have this yeah. the feud between the Cannibal Hill Phillies and sure. the Foundation members. I don't know. I'm just thinking. Let's like, write that one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, even though it would have been bloated and weird if they really both had to, if they were that in love with the Foundation idea, but had to make it a wrong turn movie, even if it could have probably been bloated and not worked, but I still would have rather just had them Man. like try to shoo in some, you know, Cannibal Hillbillies somehow. But it writes itself, Ryan. Think about <laughs> it. The foundation is insular upon uh, within their own community. Therefore, they would be inbreeding. Therefore, they would have these sort of like defect. How do what do you call that? Like when the, like the in result Midsommar, of inbreeding. The- the that's right the one that's right has, and so uh, you the, would the site, end up full site. circling back around to the sort of mutant hillbilly thing and then you create the rift between the 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 offspring who are tired of being relegated to some other thing within the community. You have a civil war in and of itself between those two sects. They splinter off. You have some people, you know, modern people getting involved so that we have the voice of the audience to like bounce off of the insanity of what's going on up in the hills. Great. Yeah. Let's do right. it. <laughs> Save the franchise. Best of both worlds. <laughs> Hire me. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's it's so weird. Like you saw how excited I was when we watched this trailer and this movie overall just because yeah. I want crazed cannibalistic cannibal you know hillbillies like doing their thing like in the, yeah. the other wrong turn movies so to have a movie be like 
oh, you wanted that? <laughs> like that's so two thousand three. <laughs> like, like no, no, yes, I did. <laughs> like, <laughs> and what are you? So, what are you doing in a wrong turn movie? Who are you to tell me I'm wrong to want and enjoy that? Like, yeah. Well, you know, I honestly, I, I hope that this doesn't hinder this director's, you know, ability to make good movies because I think the writing and the direction are are pretty good. There are a few things that I kind of felt didn't quite work from a structural point of view. Um, it's so the intercutting of the Modine, Matthew Modine dad story and a couple of moments within that story that I think we're trying to to give to like illuminate more about Jen as a character they felt clunky to me i don't know if you you had that impression in particular there's a moment when we go we're also jumping back and forth in time uh a couple times that i think just you didn't need to do that like it 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 just was unnecessarily confusing or convoluted and so there's one there's one conversation that modine has where he calls home or i'm sorry we cut back to earlier in the timeline when he's at home and he's trying to get in touch with Jen and we get to see this sort of little family dynamic and it just feels weird and clunky and we see that he's married to, you know, a, a woman who had two sons, I guess, all from a previous marriage, I think was what was the implication, but she's a little bit younger. And that that's what's sort of the, some of the conflict between Jen and, and her dad. That's all so unnecessary to me. Like it does not help us understand the story or the characters or anything in my mind whatsoever. Like it just felt weird and, and unnecessarily additive to the overall thing. And then in particularly confusing because we do do this jumping back and forth in the timeline. It's just unnecessary. I think you could rearrange those scenes maybe or place them slightly different that would help. The six-week like timeline sort of thing where he's, you know, he's been in town for presumably what, two or three weeks? It's really kind of, I think it just gets confusing. She disappears. It's We see that scene where he's at home that is a weird time jump, and he establishes that he hasn't heard from her in two weeks. So that means she's been captive in the foundation for two weeks at that point, and then he carries on looking for her for a month. And then we come back around to when we've met him the first time, which is six weeks after she's disappeared or he's heard from her. And then we catch back up and then he goes and finds her. So she's been there for six weeks, presumably, maybe seven. Okay, great. All of that just seemed unnecessarily convoluted. Well, it seemed like it was an attempt to just make the characters generally better 
you know, or like that's what they're trying to do, you know, give them a little more whatever, whatever. But for me, it's it's funny. This could be like a both what worked and what didn't work. I said I liked mm-hmm. the character setup and whatever when I thought I was watching a slasher movie. Mm-hmm. And all that seemed at the just right exact level for this kind of movie, for a new wrong turn movie. But then as far as right. sort of the direction they were going, dealing a little, trying to be a little more serious with the the story and themes and whatnot, I don't think in the sort of scene by scene, the actual like watching them play out. Actors were all great. And I should have mentioned like she, Charlotte Vegas, especially was just great going crazy. Yeah, everybody's good. I agree. Um, But just as far as then the actual, I don't know, I guess it's just the writing, the dialogue itself. It's like, it works, but it doesn't put me in the level where I'm like watching, okay, these are, you know, this is, this is good. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Yeah. It's, I, don't I know. think a part of what hindered or what made me feel this way is simply the mapping of that B story. It, it just, you know, you kind of, I think as a writer, you're aiming to get a, a, a rhythm and a flow between the A and the B story. And you want, you want to feel momentum shifts that are appropriate. And the way that it's done in here felt jarring. I wonder Instead if what- of having sort of moments where we like lead up to a, a holy shit and then we say, meanwhile, Matthew Modine is at this point in his journey to find her. We kind of got like full, full sequence sections that had kind of resolution and then we cut back to his story and it just felt it just felt weird to me so i don't i'd have to like really like pick it apart specifically to figure out what i think would be a better solution but the one thing i remember thinking was i wanted to see his uh his journey especially the latter part of his journey intertwined more with the 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 struggle that they're having that Jen is having I don't know how to say this exactly because it's kind of you can fuck with the timeline it's okay if you establish that because they do so if we were watching the the 20 year olds I was going to say kids again god I suck if you were watching them on their timeline Leading up to the moment of actually being captured and Jen making this the decision to give herself over in conjunction with Modine's later half of his story where he's on the trail coming to get her. And when he arrives and is or right before he arrives and gets captured, we are seeing Jen give herself over to What's his name? And then we sort of leave the second act and reveal that Modine is showing up six weeks after that moment. I think we would all go, oh, shit. He was behind her that much. And we could you could leave it slightly ambiguous in his storyline as to what part where he is behind them. And so when you hit that moment into the third act, you go, oh, man, we thought he was 
going to get there in time to save her. And in actuality, the tragedy of it is that it's been six weeks of her being effectively raped by this dude. And he's too late. And now she has to save him. And that becomes the third act. His failure to get there on time push it and her decision to give herself over are the things that push us into the third act but instead we have it's just timed out differently and we kind of i feel like we're given a little too much information to to have that kind of way of weaving it together have an impact that's my solution and as clearly Maybe it wouldn't work I don't know. As clearly as you explained it, I really had a hard time following you. I think I'm going to have to hear it again when I'm <laughs> editing That's, this. Well, you know. <laughs> um, but but I think all is to say it feels like they sort of maybe ran into that problem of it feels, you know, in a story sense, narrative sense, just timeline-wise, it's clearest if just we're with him setting off on his journey as soon as they get captured. But they probably ran into that that happens way too late in the movie or just kind of mm-hmm. feels like too much of a wrong turn, left turn, whatever. Um, <laughs> <sorry>. <laughs> um, so then they just had to do, okay, well, how do we introduce earlier? Let's try starting the movie with him. And then they're just kind of off yeah. to the races. I trust that whatever you just said is going to be a better solution than wherever they arrived at. But it just feels like <laughs> they, didn't, they, they didn't quite arrive wherever... Uh, the best solution was and but i think that's kind of just to put it the problem they ran into of just you know that would have taken a while to then get back to him Um, yeah it's hard you know pacing and 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 structural sort of stuff is not easy so i it sounds like maybe this didn't bother you as much but like adam if he, Ugh. you know, it, it's cool how, yeah, you said, I like, you know, I like how you put it as far as he represents this sort of like the side of the, the, of our Western culture or whatever you want to call it. That's still, you know, saying, oh, well, you gotta, what does he say? So, I mean, yeah, he, there's just someone they can't see standing by their car. That's all yeah. they know. So his response to that is to throw a glass bottle at him, yell at him, and then and like, and then he's going off and he's referring to these people as like crazy backwoods white trash fucks. Like he's calling them like all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry, it's, but it's, it, it passes it, over into believability because if the if his friends are as likable as they are, they wouldn't be friends with him, right? So there's that aspect, and then just. <laughs> making it that extreme too just then makes the nuance of the exploration of the idea of like you hear the filmmakers talking about it and they're like oh well we want to show you know it's it's uh not you know who's really the bad guy here oh who's really guilty here and i'm kind of like well of course if like adam is that's not nuanced in that sense like it's easy <laughs> to say that he shouldn't be calling these people these things and throwing glass bottles i mean is that really that revelatory at this point i don't know the movie just kind of identified with adam too much in that sense or maybe i just yeah. it's more just as feels like it's personal as if it's like it felt like the he movie has was a lack assuming- of remorse at the like he only has remorse at the last moment, and I think that that's a little bit of a mistake. Well, it feels like, like the, the movie was assuming that I was on that I'm someone who is on his level, or I was accepting right. his 
violence outrages as being normal. Right. So I would be all surprised and looking at my own in- self introspectively as, a, oh, maybe I shouldn't call people crazy backwards white fucks. Oh, you know, it's it really felt <laughs> like the movie was, that's the best they were assuming of me. Maybe they thought and, they were speaking to a different audience. I don't know, man. Um, but then that sort of didn't help at all. Then this is where I say maybe this sounded like it's a little different for you. But um, then once we got to him killing the the foundation member, that sort of sets us off. I'm sorry, but I didn't buy that escalation. Like, yeah, you, like as you pointed out, you maybe you could kind of you know understand the misunderstanding because they they got hit by a log. One of them technically died. He believed that it's really critical though. It, 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 here's why I'm not completely like against how it plays out we've established that he has this sort of hot-headed personality right and we i don't relate to it all but (laughs) right i don't either but we've also established something that i do relate to which is he believes that after his first friend got killed that his girlfriend was also kidnapped and potentially killed he does not know she's alive in this moment and he has jumped on, you know, inappropriately so, but he has jumped to the conclusion that these people killed his girlfriend and also are going to kill him. He got sucked into some weird chain tunnel trap thing. Like, that's pretty extreme. And so I, I, could, I could get on board enough to be like, okay – here okay it's a fair assumption that they're trying to kill him but those traps only because we are watching a wrong turn movie do we think <laughs> the traps are for people if and and they're a reflection of that's that true. that doesn't make sense at all their only assumption should be with those traps is that they're for animals which is what they turn out to be so it's like a twist within the movie which is supposed to be presented to us as reality that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. oh we you know it's actually not for people like you think because you're watching a wrong turn movie turned a camera wink at audience you know it's it doesn't it doesn't work at that sense and all I can say but too, I think it works but that 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 fundamental misunderstanding on his part okay, actually again, helps yeah. so outside of just him and I don't know exactly why but all I can say is for that to have worked for me I would have needed to be legitimately surprised when the the girl's still alive and walks out but yeah there's it, a in way order to, to buy that. that yeah so that's what that's all that needed to happen because right before she walked out i'm like well she's gonna be i mean i know she's alive like i needed for the movie to do what it felt like it was trying to do I had to be just as surprised as he seemed to be. But instead right. I was needed- just like mad at him and this is ridiculous yeah. and I'm not invested at all. They needed they needed that one moment that, you know, is, you know, it's the, it's the assumption flaw sort of moment, which is they get false confirmation that she's dead. And we need to see that. So they need to, whatever they're looking for, they need to come across like her glasses and see that they've got blood on them or 
something that she possessed or a body part that that they that they can make a valid assumption is her but is actually not like we needed that little extra confirmation or flawed confirmation that she's dead for us to really get on board with that state of mind otherwise when he hits the guy over the head why didn't the two other dudes just jump him and go okay enough or Tim, like if, if this was our version of the movie and there were actually also crazed cannibalists to kill Billies, we see one of them. So we get how they assume that they are one in the same and which, was, which right. we would I, assume too. That was what I thought was going to happen. I was like, ooh, they're going to they're gonna actually attack these two and these two are not going to be the culprits at all. But it turned out that they were the culprits, but kind of not. You know what I mean? It, it was a little too, like, squishy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, so who... So the whole idea is that the the first log that hit them was meant for animals? You know what I mean? Like, they stumble <laughs> exactly. upon a shed yeah. that has a bunch Good of question. hikers' gear. Presumably yeah. hikers yeah, yeah. that have gone off trail and they, the foundation, captured. And again, so all that feels like it's... Th- That's it's squishy. All, yeah, and all that feels like it's playing off of our expectations, it yeah. being a wrong turn movie, but all that totally falls apart, whether it's the falling yeah. log or the room of cell phones, once we get to, it's not. So it's like, it doesn't make sense within the reality of, their, That's of right. reality, That's right. which is where they're trying to set it. Yeah, that that really is a mess up. <laughs> Again, just the trappings <laughs> of having to make it a wrong turn movie and then not yeah. not dealing with that more, I guess. Great. Yeah, it's almost like hmm, I'm trying to think of a, a another way in the story that you could kind of justify that like barn that has all of the stuff that's left behind. Well, you know, if, if there were they, also if, the crazy cannibalistic cannibalistic kill failures. <laughs> so that's one way, right? I think that that's a valid way. And I thought, I kind of thought that's where we were going. We didn't. Or, or like they say in the movie, it they're like, this is a lost and found. What if it literally was where if anyone came looking for stuff, it's just all conveniently, the foundation is like, we don't need these. Here's, here's if you're looking for, no, but that would make sense <laughs> right. because they, they, then that's they evidence. They close the door and, it has a sign on it it's like if you're looking for your stuff yeah no they're we we gather they are um trying to hide evidence of their existence so i think what you could have done to sort of sort of push this idea of the foundation and the the presumed upside or moral upside or like justification for that community existing is have somebody call it out and be like, hang on, you're trying to say that you tied our friend to a log, you're wearing skull camouflage outfits, you're taking him bound somewhere right by a barn that has a bunch of other people's stuff. Like, you can understand that that looks pretty suspicious, right? And they could be like, yes, we do understand that, but what if we told you that all of the people in this room voluntarily gave up their stuff because of this pitch to live in this new other community. And then you have verification of that where people go, yeah, here's my story. I got off trail. I got lost. I was screwed. And the foundation found me 
and they gave me a choice. And I chose to join them and leave behind these things. We see that that kernel of thought in the boyfriend where he says the world has never seen me these people see me and if you have if you had set that up a little bit with other people in the community to validate the the benefit of becoming leaving the modern world behind and becoming a part of this community we i think you could have gotten a little bit more on board with this idea of oh they really did jump to a conclusion and wrongfully kill this dude. Wrong turnfully. Yep. But they, uh, you know, that may be too much, you know? Like, people may have read that if that was in a, a version of the script. They've been like, this is too much. It's too, it's too blah, 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 well, blah. We're explaining things. I mean, you're, you're right. There's something in the direction of those logistics. And I think then also, like the movie was pushing like they they were t- this maybe this is also why I just you know at this point in the movie I'm like well I know she's gonna be still alive or I know he's you know not killing I, you know I wasn't with him at all was just in the handling of like at that point you know it's not crazed cannibalistic hillbillies because of the way we keep getting glimpses of them like we've seen a little mm-hmm. girl who looks normal we've seen these shadows that clearly aren't the the hillbillies you know it's like they're they're right. they're walking not like they're crazed cannibalistic hillbillies and they're wearing clothing that's like that we know it's something different at that point so it's this weird like they're playing with those expectations of us thinking it's a wrong turn movie Yet also they're not committing a hundred percent, you know? So (laughs) it's like this weird level of no, like you're already bending the rules of things that don't make sense just for this like gimmick of, of trying to pull a twist on us. You also have to just do a better job of that in itself by like, just (laughs) when, when you're showing them, you know, throw us off more somehow. I, I don't know. It's just all that them trying to do that is really at the core of just what made this all fall apart. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because honestly, like I, I think I said at the top, like the few things that we've just gone over, although are pretty big and broad, there's not a lot of like there are only a few really core elements. But those things hindered the overall movie so much that it just undercut the really good stuff that exists in it. Yeah, it's kind of sad. <laughs> But there's no perfect movie, Ryan. There's no perfect movie. I mentioned it earlier in this episode. It's called Super Mario Brothers from 1993. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> I How did give you. It, I gave it a perfect rating. I gave it five out of five. I, I think it's incredible. <laughs> I really do. And I'll defend it. You're which allowed. I, which I do in that, that movie. I mean, that, that episode. Uh, That's funny. Well, Tim, do you have any other... Uh, Things that did not work for you, or should we move on to things of note? None worth mentioning. Great. <laughs> <laughs> None worth so, so. <laughs> great. Took it. You, you said your piece there, and then great. All right. Well, let's move on then. Last section. Wrap it up. Things of note. This should be interesting. I mean, I did watch the special features on the disc of the making of and the the deleted scenes. And I kind of, I mean, I already, what was interesting, I feel like I already mentioned, which is just that, that great ending they came up with kind of 
really last minute. Sounded like how they told the story there almost on set or something like that. Or anyway, that that last thing hmm. that you know, the director, co-writer, they just got really excited about it when one of them had the idea for it. And that was a cool moment of inspiration. Uh and yeah, the deleted scenes, nothing huge, but I, I the one I enjoyed the most, I told you, which was um Matthew Modine going to the hiking store. That was funny. And then uh, there's also, you know, when he meets that one sheriff, we didn't we didn't talk about him, but, you know, he has that scene with the sheriff. Mm. There's, like, a whole mm-hmm. lead into that where he arrives at the police station and, like, it seems like no one's there and this one other cop just kind of pokes his head around and is like, uh, well, you know, what can I, what do you want to see the sheriff for? Just just give, give him a little flack, making it a hard time. Um, it was, I, I see why it was cut, <laughs> but um, yeah. so get get in right to the scene with him. But it was it was fine. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Not I didn't I didn't really get too much out of else out of the making of except everything that you we kind of I'm sure you would surmise about their intentions of being excited about your expectations that it's a wrong turn movie and playing against that. Yeah. That was definitely the intention. That was definitely all very deliberate. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have much to say with it that hasn't been said already. The Charlotte Vega thing, I now realize that's a cool cool little connection that we watched a movie with her before. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Nothing we crazy. <laughs> well, you know what I was going to say, actually? One thing about Mike P. Nelson, the director, is... That thing that says like from acclaimed director in the in the uh, trailer, it's interesting to me because like I'd like to see he's done a lot of shorts. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven shorts. And he's done some stuff for a TV series called Studio Luma, which I don't I don't know what that is. And then he only has one other feature, it looks like. Oh, maybe this one from 06 is a feature too, but Recently, in 18, he did a movie called The Domestics. And maybe that's the movie that they're referring to that sort of he got some acclaim for. Yeah, when I was looking Interestingly at reviews, enough, they were like director of The Domestics. Okay, because that the, the um, poster for that is a two-sided axe with a worn, painted-on, like, colonial sort of era American flag. So it... There's a part of me. Oh, it has Kate Bosworth in it and Tyler Hawk. I can't remember how you say that. Hucklin or something like that. Those are good actors. So maybe you know, it makes me wonder. Maybe I'll I'll just watch that movie to see what what the deal is. But um, that poster makes me feel like it has very similar themes to this movie. And so I wonder, you know, I wonder what the thread is. Like, why did the wrong turn people go, ooh, this is the guy for us? Or did he find them somehow? Yeah. Right, right. Exactly. Different writer, because he wrote The Domestics, it looks like. Well, it's the writer. Um, Here's a thing of note. It's the same writer as the original wrong turn, Alan B. McElroy. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Who wrote? Uh, All right. So screenwriting debut saw the domestics. His screenwriting debut was Halloween Four: The Return of Michael Myers. Mm, interesting. Okay. Well, you know, take that for what it's worth. That's cool. <laughs> Great. I'll watch the domestics if I can find it, just to see what's up. Well, you still haven't seen Parasite, so I hope you watch that first. 
Uh, I will be watching that next week. Great. Uh, with Brit. I mean, that as an example of, I'm sure there's there's lots of great movies <laughs> out there you still haven't seen. <laughs> yes, <laughs> there are. Um, Do you want to recommend Dead a couple? Yes. I guess, well, here, one last thing of note to confirm. We guessed it was taking place in Virginia. Indeed, was taking place in Virginia. Okay, good. So us wrong-turn fans of the original, there's our little thread of connectivity. You gotta stay in that. True to that source material. Right. Just knowing that where Jennifer (laughs) went on her whole adventure in this one was the same place that Jesse, played by Eliza Dushku, went on from the original Wrong Turn. Same state. Thank the wrong turn gods. Maybe Anyways. a different different mountain. <laughs> right. Same One wrong mountain turn. Over. Same wrong turn. We still have mountain. hope for for the <laughs> for the integration of the original wrong turn universe into the foundation universe. Right. Right. They could have a land dispute. If we have uh, any pull or power at any point, Tim, we gotta we gotta steer this this franchise back on its right tracks. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So great. All right. Well, yeah. So how about it? Recommendations. That's it for wrong turn. Cool. <laughs> Since you have one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What is it? I do. It's called, so it's, this is a fun little just coincidence. I watched this movie two years ago, I think maybe. Um, and was like, oh, that was a really good, just look like slim budget small production like brisk fun vengeance horror film and it's called bound to vengeance and it's really solid really really solid and yesterday or the day before i was having a meeting with my film partner and we were talking about uh people that we should reach out to just for business networking blah 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 and i was like oh actually you know my neighbor's a filmmaker as well we should talk to him my and my partner was like oh yeah like what's what has he worked on and i was like actually don't know so i looked him up he that's his movie he wrote it and produced it i was like wait i've seen this this is an awesome movie we need to like have a beer and talk about it when we are allowed to cuz it's such a it's a fun little vengeance movie so it's called bound to vengeance Cool. I think I've heard of it. Yeah, it's cool. Great. Well, I'll go with so much to recommend Dead, Tim. So many good movies out there I feel like I'm (laughs) seeing. But I happened upon this filmmaker, pretty prolific Korean filmmaker, South Korean filmmaker named Hong Sang-soo. And I almost Mm. just kind of want to recommend Dead him overall. But I didn't. He has a really unique approach to filmmaking that I did not know in sitting down to the first movie I watched of his. But I guess to spoil it, it's basically he writes the scenes they're going to shoot that day in the morning that they're going to shoot. Oh my them. god! So it's just this constant discovery process where he's all he like tells the actors. But he wakes up at four, starts writing, tells the actors by nine if they're going to be in the scene or not. But basically, writes it around the actors and locations that are on standby. Um, wow. But he says, you know, that keeps it so there's something real and fresh and spontaneous about the dialogue itself. Yeah. Hey, you know, it was it's a nice reminder overall, you know, you're trying to find your method as a filmmaker. The sky's the limit. Your, your toolbox is just huge on as far as what your actual approach and methodology can be. Not saying do this, but hey, if you're, try it, if it sounds cool to you, like, 
I don't know. So it was just a neat reminder of that. But the films, even before knowing that was his method, the first one I watched, um, I was just so taken with and then had to just, you know, when I was going back to the video store, rent the next one. So the second one I watched of his is called Right Now, Wrong Then. I think I liked that one a little more, maybe. I don't know. I love them both. On the Beach, Alone. On the Beach, At Night, Alone is the other one I watched, which I loved that too. But I don't, I don't know. I'll just, because it's the second one I watched most recently, Right Now, Wrong Then. I'll make that my official recommendation. Cool. Yeah, just, oh my God, just, it's like people just sitting and talking in bars on beaches. It's like, that's all it, but it's just super engrossing. It just really scratched this, this right itch I had right now. I was, got really <laughs> sucked into the filmmaking and the films. Well, that's and it's uh, the actor Kim Min Min Hee. She's though like I knew her from The Handmaiden. She's like, uh, she's like in a bunch of his movies. Oh, she's she's just so good. I, I really love her. So there we go. Right now, wrong then. Director Hong Sang Soo. Sweet. Tim, well, cool dude. You want to pull from the hat and let us know what we're watching next week? Oh yeah, I do. Here we go. Maybe it'll be wrong turn two. <laughs> Please. <laughs> nope. <laughs> it is a movie from 1989 called Communion. <gasps> Tim, you're going to be very happy with this one. Remember how you were saying you really wanted to watch an alien thing? Sure. Well, this is an alien thing. Hell yeah. It's... um. Yeah, I think it's got it's it's the author. I mean, there's the book Communion by this author Whitley Schreiber, mm-hmm. who's like all into writing, you know, the the quote unquote, you know, real accounts of abductions and stuff. Okay. So this book, the movie's based on that book of the idea of like these are people's accounts, you know, turned in film. However, they ended up adapting mm-hmm. it. I don't know. Um, but I think uh, who's in it? Is, I think. Is Christopher Walken in it? I want to say. Oh, I think you're right. I may have seen this when I was a kid. Yeah. So, hey, alien thing, Tim, finally doing it. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Great. All right. All right. Well, until then, you can find us wherever you found us. We are dismembering horror. Our big ask, if you enjoyed joining us, please let a friend know if you think they'd enjoy joining us. Join us. Join <laughs> us. Exactly. So, uh, well, whether you're taking a right turn or a wrong turn in closing, <laughs> thanks for listening. And we will see you next time. Good Goodbye. Bye. Yeah. <laughs>